again, I want to remind you that uh, after the sermon, we're going to have a brief time of Q&A. And so if you have questions um, during this time, please send in your questions. Use the Facebook chat. Uh, we are going to talk about the virus. We're going to talk about hope in times like this. Um, just being real, I don't think I've ever experienced a time that has tempted me to give in to fear, to panic and anxiety more than this. Um, I mean, 9-11 uh, was something like that, but it felt so geographically far away from where I was in Texas at the time. Felt a little bit like this, but it seemed like things changed and it didn't seem to be as much of an immediate threat right away. Uh, this feels like something different. Um, and even as a pastor, like I'm used to entering into individual crisis with people, um, but I feel like this is the first time I've ever, I, I guess that I've ever been around a situation where it's like everybody, it's everywhere. It, I mean, literally is a pandemic that's touching the world and we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know where this is going. We don't know if the government is gonna do the right thing, if people are gonna do the right thing. And we've seen bits and pieces in the news of people that are exploding in panic and fear. Um, and, <clears throat> and in the middle of all this, what do we do? In the middle of all this, where is God? I feel like what we're experiencing right now is the loss of control. Um, the hoarding of toilet paper and water, I think, is us trying to control something. It's trying to have something that we can do about the situation that we're in. And, you know, we're aware like, that bad things can happen to us and bad things are happening to us and we can't do anything to stop what's coming because we, we don't even know what it is. Um, and as I thought about this, as I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, you know, I've thought, like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could face this with faith instead of fear? 1 John 4, uh, 18 says, it says God loves us in the chapter. And then it says that there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could face the worst that this virus could do? What if you could stare directly into the face of the worst possible future and still have joy and still hold on to your faith? What if you could not give in to anxiety, but in everything, you could make your requests known to God and have God's peace come to you in every circumstance? That's what God wants. We have to talk about this because at a time like this, our faith needs to be built up. Our faith specifically needs to be built up during a time like this. And into this, God comes. Um, God cares so much about what we're going through. This didn't surprise God. God knew everything that produced this. And God knew it was coming and spoke long ago in a way that would build us up so that we will be able to handle and face what we're going through with faith instead of fear. And God wants us to know that he's present in our distress. In the panic, God is with us. The book of Revelation was written if you've been connecting to any of the videos that I've done this week, I've said this several times that the book of Revelation was written to Christians in the first century because of what they were about to go through. And God wants them to know that he is there with them. He wants them to know what he expects from them, what they can expect from him. 
And so we're going to look at the first five chapters of the book of Revelation, just bits and pieces, because I want to give you a sweep of what God says to his people in one, uh, in, in one message. I want you to feel the weight and the movement of the beginning section of the book of Revelation. And so we're going to start in Revelation 1, verses 13 through 18. And it says this, it says, in the midst of the lampstands, the lampstands were the churches, um, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, this is John talking, the author, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Friends, Revelation begins with a vision of Jesus. And these descriptions of Jesus, it's super, um, it's image-rich, all kinds of metaphors, and they all come from the Old Testament. These descriptions of Jesus, these are descriptions of God in the Old Testament this passage echoes the visions of Daniel 7 and Daniel chapter 10. And the point of this all is that Jesus is God and that Jesus is in control and that he is with you if you are following him. In verse 13, he's in the midst of the lampstands. The lampstands are the churches. That means that Jesus is in our midst. He's in the midst of our lives. He's in and through with us. He's with us as a church. And so we have to keep being the church uh, to each other. We need to stay safe and stay connected. And Jesus says to us, his words to us in verse 17, fear not. Do not be afraid of what is about to happen. The church in the first century was about to go through something that was so awful. It was called the great tribulation. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus says, I am God. And I died. I suffered. You're about to go through suffering. I suffered. And behold, I am alive now forever. If the worst should happen, I have the keys to death itself. And I will bring you through. No matter what happens, I am with you. Any suffering that you endure, I will bring you through it. And so this passage shows us, it shows us that Jesus is God. It shows us that Jesus suffered into death and came out alive forever on the other side of death. And he is with you now, no matter what happens. And so we need faith and we need courage. And the book of Revelation was written to give us both. So Jesus then has words for the churches and there is a word for each one of the seven churches, and we're just going to look at one of them. But chapters 2 and 3 address the seven churches that John was writing to. <coughs> and so Revelation 2, 1 to 7 says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is his word to one church. And Jesus is saying, you're about to go through something and you need to be prepared. You need to be strong. And this letter says that Jesus is the one on the throne in our circumstances. Jesus is with us. We have his love and his protection. Jesus says there's some things that you're doing well, and there are some areas where you need to grow. And what we see here is that the affirmation and the call of Jesus is to patient endurance. Patient endurance is the key. It's in verse 2. Uh, patient endurance, it's mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation, not a coincidence. It's five times in the first three chapters, patient endurance. So we need Jesus' comfort and his assurance, but we also need to step up our faith. Um, we need to grow in our faithfulness to be strong enough to face what's coming. Because what's coming is more fear. What's coming is more reason to panic. Um, so many of us are nervous and we're anxious that we might run out of toilet paper, that we might run out of water, that we might run out of food, uh, we might run out of um, retirement. Some of our 401ks, our retirement plans have taken huge hits. Are we gonna have enough money to retire? Um, some of us have lost jobs already. Are we gonna have enough money to pay the bills? Um, and then what about our family members? What about our parents or our grandparents? What about our children? Will they be safe? I mean, all of these things are legitimate reasons to be anxious. And Jesus comes to us in this passage and he asks, where do you need to grow? He affirms that he's with us. He affirms that he sees the good that we have done and the good that we are doing, but then he's asking, where do you need to grow? When he tells the church, this is what I have against you, um, here's where you need to grow. You've left your first love. The question for us is, where are we not strong enough to face what's coming? Whatever it is. What does patient endurance look like in your life? I think for some of us, patient endurance, just simply in this time right now, it looks like patiently enduring the reality that you need to be confined to your home. Confined to having to say no to in-person meetings. There were meetings that I had this week where I had to switch them to a Zoom conference or switch them to a phone call because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it in person. Um, 
in that way, we are confined to doing things that will prevent us from spreading the virus to those who are most vulnerable. It looks like us pushing ourselves to stay safe, to keep the most vulnerable in our communities safe. For others, it looks like patiently enduring the need to reach out to people virtually. Um, it looks like, for some of us, pushing yourself to stay connected. And so for all of us, what else does Jesus want to strengthen in your life right now? In what ways maybe have you abandoned the love that you had at first? I mean, the good news of the broken world that we live in right now is that there are things that we can do to make it better. There are ways that we can change. There are ways that we can grow. There are things that we can do. Like sometimes calamity happens, chaos happens, so that God can wake us up. Like that's some of the good that God is doing in this. It's waking us up. And Jesus is here now asking us, in what ways do you need to grow? What are things that you need to be working on in your spiritual life, in your relationships, to make our community stronger and better? And so chapters 2 and 3 speak to seven different churches. But then, in chapter 4, we get a vision of heaven. Let's look at Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne st stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So what we're seeing here, this is God's throne room, surrounded by all of creation. If you read the whole chapter, and everything in creation is worshiping God. Everyone who sees God, even in the midst of suffering and the uncertain future, everyone who sees God worships because they see that he's on the throne. They see that he is in control, and he is powerful enough to bring good out of everything that's going on. And I want you to notice that God's throne is wrapped in his promise to Noah. Directly around the throne, verse 3 says, was a rainbow. The rainbow, this is God's covenant promise way back in Genesis chapter 9. It was the, the promise he made in the days of Noah when God promised that he would not give up on the world. God promised that he wouldn't give up on us. God promised that he would bring us through the flood of what is coming and hide us in the ark of his love and bring us through to a new world where everything is renewed and everything is made right. And so we see in this passage that God's throne is wrapped in his rainbow promise to renew us and the world. Man, what incredible encouragement for people who were suffering back then and it was about to get worse. What incredible encouragement for us that God is not just on his throne, but the one who's on the throne has a covenantal promise, a commitment to renew us and to renew the world. Now, how will God do this? Can God do this in times of suffering? Well, we find out how in chapter 5. And in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, it says this, And when he, this is Jesus, when Jesus had taken the scroll, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Friends, there is so much in this chapter, but just these verses teach us that Jesus is worthy. This scroll is God's plan to make his promise for renewing the world come true. The scroll is the new covenant that Jesus introduced, that Jesus inaugurated, and then Jesus ratified by his death and his resurrection. This scroll couldn't be opened by anyone who wasn't worthy, but Jesus was worthy. It says in verse 9, you were slain. Jesus died under the weight of all the things that we've done to vandalize the world. All of our sin put Jesus on the cross. And by his blood, he ransomed people for God from every nation on earth. From every part of the globe, Jesus paid the price so that our sins would be forgiven and so that we would be brought out and set free. And so Jesus is worthy And Jesus makes us worthy. That's what he says. He says, verse 10, you have made these people that you've ransomed, you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Man, you have to understand that that God was serious about humanity. God invested his image in humanity. God wanted humanity, human beings, men and women, to reign on the earth, and he hasn't given up on that. That Jesus became human so that he could lift all of humanity up to restore and renew them so that we would reign with him, so that we would be a kingdom of priests worshiping God, but then living and acting in ways that make the world better, ruling in ways that bring healing and hope We have been crowned with glory and honor. Jesus has given us incredible strength, his own strength, and that strength overcomes in our lives. And I want you to see the gospel here. I mean, not just explicitly in the work of Jesus. We see that it's clear that he was slain, he's risen from the dead, and he's now alive forevermore, but also in the structure of chapters 1 through 5. The challenge to us is in chapters 2 and 3, the challenge of the churches. And I want to invite you to read through those chapters and ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you have against me? What do you have that I need to grow in? But then remember that before that challenge is the vision in chapter 1 of the risen Savior. The risen Savior who is alive and has the keys of death in Hades. And then after the challenge, In Revelation 4 and 5, we see that Jesus is reigning, that we're worthy because he makes us worthy, not because of our own obedience, even of our own faithfulness. Our faithfulness flows from his worthiness, from his strength. And so Jesus is reigning, and he makes us reign. 
Friends, our economy isn't going to save us. Toilet paper and bottled water aren't going to save us. But Jesus has saved us. Jesus has saved us. And he wants us to be so sure of our salvation that we would be eager to patiently endure. So that we would be eager to be patient with others, to be patient with the uncertainty, knowing that he is reigning knowing that he's in control, knowing that he cares for us. This Jesus is inviting you to trust him. This Jesus is inviting you to look up and to see him reigning on the throne. And then to join him, to join him in security, to join him in his love. He's going to take care of us. He may take care of us directly and miraculously, but we know he's gonna take care of us as a church. There are hundreds of people who will rise to meet your needs if you're struggling. It's already happening. We're already seeing it. We've been seeing it. We've been a church for 20 years and we've watched Jesus provide for us. He's gonna provide for us now too. And so know that. Let us know your needs and let us know your questions. If you're struggling to connect to Jesus, for the first time or for the 101st time, let us know. We'd love to reach out and we'd love to connect even now in a time of Q&A. And so I'm gonna pray and then uh, we'll move into a time of questions and answers. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our God. Thank you for not staying in heaven where it's safe, but entering into the fear and the panic and the anxiety of our world. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy to rule and to reign, and we love you. And we pray that in the moments when the fear gets strong, when the anxiety takes over, we pray that we'd be able to see you, and that we would see you in control, and that you will provide for us. We trust you. And Jesus, for those who are tuned in and they don't know you, would you reach out and touch them today? Help them to see that you are in control and lead them to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive my sins. I give you my life. Work and move in our church, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. We are, as Stephen said, we're going to move into a time of Q&A right now. So I am monitoring um, the questions as they come in on Facebook Live. Um, it looks like, can we, oh, can we get his volume up a little bit just to make sure? We want to make sure you guys can hear him uh, nice and well. Um, so Stephen, I'm just going to ask you some questions as they come in, and then uh, we'll keep it open for about 10 minutes or just kind of as long as necessary, and we'll We'll see where we go. So don't hesitate. Send in your questions. If you want it to remain anonymous, if you don't want your name to be on it, you can always direct message us on Facebook or on Instagram, Harbor City SD. So we'll go ahead and get it started uh, with just a general question. I think a lot of people are just, with being in a state of fear, they just want to know, is God causing this and oh, why? Such a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because if we shy away from the hard questions, we have no credibility. Um, if God were the one who was vindictively causing our world to suffer, 
um, that wouldn't be a God worth worshiping. Um, what the Bible presents is a God who um, isn't responsible for the evil that befalls the world. Um, even science seems to be telling us that this virus came because people made decisions about food and about animal products. And then it was exacerbated by people that in governments didn't communicate and wanted to suppress it. Uh, and so if we just look at the science of how it came about and how it spread, it's not God's fault, it's ours. Um, but repeatedly in the Bible, when calamities happen, God says, look, even though this isn't my fault, I'm here to help. I am here to be with you. I am here to bring good out of all of this. And I mean, that's just the beginning of a question. Like a question like that, um, there's a, yeah, one of the best answers, even before looking into the details, I feel like God says, look, the answer to your question is going to take a lot of time and a lot of relationship. And so there's a trust that you build with God that helps you to see that he's not at fault, but that he's here to help. Um, and as you know him better, you can connect to that trust and you can begin to see that even though it tends to be things that we've done that have caused the problem, you can see that God is working good in this. And I know he, he is already working good in this and he will continue to work good in it. Yeah, that's really good. Actually, speaking of that, another question is what are some what are some positive results or effects that you've been seeing that you see are happening as a result of this pandemic? So this is why we need to stay connected to each other and connected to God in this, because if we are connected to God, we will see his goodness in our lives. And then if we're paying attention and connecting to people, um, we will see his goodness expressed through others. Um, I've seen a lot more people awake to serious issues. Um, there is every conversation is dealing with this every conversation, everyone wants to talk about it. And so I can see that people are awake to dealing with much more significant issues. Um, man, one good thing, um, I know someone who's dealing with stress and anxiety and that stress and anxiety has been relieved because work stress, school stress, you know, relationship stress is so radically limited that stress is gone. And so even just seeing that in the simplification of life, there's less stress on the one hand. And then I was having a conversation with um, another friend of mine who said to me that he's going through kind of a, like a, it's a renaissance of his own experience with God because he said, I'm, I've constantly experienced depression and anxiety and I have this sort of low grade angst all the time. And I also find that I need my friends more than they need me. That's been my experience. It adds to my depression and anxiety. And he said that now all of my friends want to talk. Now all of my friends are stressed and, and anxious and feeling somewhat depressed. And I can help them because this is my normal. And he said, I have been lifted up because God has met me in my own depression and anxiety, and now I can help others who are not familiar with it. So these are just some of the ways that I've seen God at work. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, this is good, guys. Keep sending them in. We're starting to get a lot more questions now. Uh, one of them, this is really good as related to what you just preached on a little bit. It says, 
each of the passages where it tells the churches what they need to work on, it's followed by something bad if they didn't. How does this work with the idea of not needing to work for our salvation? Boy, that's a great question. Um, so Jesus is calling us to follow him. And if we don't, there are negative consequences. If we cut ourselves off from God, there's a point where God will let us go. Um, and this, like, there are promises to his children that he'll never let them go. But there are stern warnings to people who are acting like Christians and aren't. There are stern warnings of people who aren't Christians, that there is, a, there, there is an end to God's patience. Judgment is coming. Um, and what, Jesus is, what John is writing to in the book of Revelation is that the calamity is going to get bad, and if you're not strong, you're going to fail, meaning that when the pressure heats up, when persecution heats up, if you're not really his, you will not make it through. And so, so Jesus saves us, and his grace is sufficient, and we are saved because of his work and his work alone. But there's a call to us to follow him. And when we follow him, I mean, that's both him working in us and us working out what he's working in. And if we don't work that out, then we will suffer and we'll fall. That's good. We have kind of a comic relief question. Do you recommend spending money on two-ply toilet paper or just save money and go with one? <laughs> It's really good. Thank you. <laughs> stumped the pastor. Yeah, he stumped. You stumped him with this one. You're really yeah, good. Yeah, it's good. I, uh, I don't have an opinion on that. No so, comment. He's yeah. going for the no comment. No comment. Okay, that works. Um, this is a good question. Uh, kind of just practical is how can I serve others if I can't leave my home? Um, well, our theme for this season as a church is to stay safe and stay connected. And so if you can't leave your home, use your phone, use texting, use Zoom calling, and we will, we have a Zoom account that provides, um, yeah, th that we would love to share with you. Uh, we would love to buy more Zoom accounts. We have money in our budget so that you can stay connected to people. Um, Zoom is free up to 40 minutes. Anything over that, you have to pay, and so get on, you can stay connected to people. Um, it's remarkable how connected I feel. Even the meetings that I've had to move from in-person to virtual over this last week, I'm surprised by how personal it still feels. The quality of the technology is, is remarkable. It, it, I mean, in some ways, I feel like Zoom and Skype and FaceTime, they're, they're, they're images of our God who connects us all over the world. Like the spirit of God is in each one of his people and we are connected. And this technology gives us a chance to experience that even when we're far away. And so use all the technology available to you to stay connected to people in the church for your sake and for theirs. Yeah. I, was gonna, yeah, I don't know who the creator of Zoom was, but they're probably loving life right now. Yeah, among, <laughs> yeah maybe the one stock that's skyrocketing right, with Costco. Right. And, yeah. Zoom's great. <clears throat> oh, I love this question. This is really good. Is how do we remain patient and hopeful when we just want this to be all over? God didn't save us so that we would have an easy life. Um, God doesn't want to fill the world with men and women who know and are expert in an easy life. Um, the book of Revelation even teaches this, that what God is looking for in the world are men and women who are willing and able to bear up under suffering and hold on to him. 
that are able to worship him in the midst of suffering because that's what the world needs. There is no better way for us to demonstrate the work of Jesus, our Savior, than for us to say yes to entering into suffering and to, and to continue to worship. Like there's nothing more important than that. Like anyone can be happy when things are great, um, but it's, it's the New Testament church. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Hebrews 10, 34 and 35. It says they joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. That's the faith that transformed the Roman Empire. That's the faith that changed the world. It's people that realize that this is our chance to show what Jesus was like in his willingness to endure pain and evil and yet continue to love. And so I want it to be over. I know you want it to be over. We all want it to be over because, man, responding like that to suffering is great as an idea, but when it means that the uncertainty of our children, of our grandparents, of our parents, of the folks that we know and love, it's not easy at all, but I gotta tell you, we're all gonna die. We are all gonna die. And the question is, how are we going to live in anticipation of that? And Jesus and the book of Revelation tell us that the way to conquer is, to, is through patient endurance. That's really good. We probably got time for a couple more. Um, this one's really good. It says, what does evangelism look like in this season? Uh, especially when we're forced to be in our homes, what is, can you just speak to that? Like, what would evangelism look like in this season? Does that mean just ministering to the people in our homes or outside? Well, I think evangelism, I'm so grateful for these questions. They're so good. I'm glad that y'all are thinking through this and recognizing that we want to stay, want to, one, one hand up into heaven, holding on to Jesus, and then the other hand, holding on to everybody around us, both Christians and non. And so I do think it means prioritizing the folks in your family, but staying connected to the people that are outside the church, staying connected to your non-Christian family and friends, your non-Christian coworkers and colleagues. Um, and... I think first and foremost, it means being available to them to, and, and serving them. That's right. I think there's a, there's a heart and a spirit of generosity that would make a bigger impact than just about anything that you could say initially. Mm. Um, it's so easy for us to respond, and I've done this in my own heart, like, wait, do we have enough? Are we going to have enough? And I just want to invite you to enter into the generosity of God and to be convinced that God is going to provide for you. He's going to use your work. He's going to use your efforts, but God's going to provide for you. You have more than you need. And so open your heart and your hand to share it with others and let them know that you're doing this because God has taught you that you don't have to be afraid. And I think if you can testify to what God is doing in your heart in face of the panic and the fear and the anxiety, that's probably the best way for you to share your faith with others because that's the kind of faith where it might not be the first time it might be the fifth time that you um, exercise generosity and then be able to say that i'm doing this because god has freed me up to be generous um, it makes an impression on people it is the hope that people are looking for and they'll ask you about it that's really good so i'll just ask one more question um just really good so how can we help the most vulnerable members of our church that may need groceries or kind of other errands or things done with them 
Okay, yeah, I think really just two ways. First, if you're available, let us know. Um, so in the Facebook chat, if you have a, you can text or email any of us on staff, let us know um, how we can get a hold of you and what you feel like you have, if you have time or if you have money or if you have energy or skills to be able to do anything, um, let us know, even if you just are willing to sit with somebody. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is, um, if you know someone in our church who has a need, meet it or let us know and we'll bring to bear. We have actually more people right now who are available to meet needs than we have needs. And so, um, so yeah, so those two things, let us know if you're willing to help and then let us know the needs that you either have or know of in our church. That's great. Awesome. I'm so proud of y'all for the way you're thinking about this. Thank you for these questions. Um, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to get through this together. So let me pray and then uh, we'll transition. Father, thank you for our church. Um, I am continually impressed by the, just the weight of glory that is in these image bearers that you have made and redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Um, continue, Lord, to help us to stay safe and to stay connected to each other. Continue to help us to be the church and continue, God, to help us um, to reach out to each other and to the city around us to meet needs. Um, yeah, we love you, God, and we thank you that faith gets stronger in community. And so be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.